Hello and thank you for listening to this Table Church Sermon Podcast. If you pay attention to the news, then you'll know that the topic of immigration is a big topic. But what you may not realize is that it's a big topic in the Bible too. In this series, we're looking at the Bible's teaching about loving those who are displaced from their home. So join us for this series. It's called Sojourners, The Good News for Immigrants. It's going to be February 4 to 18 as we discover that this topic actually has a lot more to say about God's compassionate heart than we may have realized. And as always, if you need anything, reach out to us. Find us at our website, tablechurchdsm.org. And if you want to learn more about the Immigrant Connection office that we just opened, uh, check it out on our website, tablechurchdsm.org slash ic-home. That's the letters I-N-C-home. Thanks for listening, and please enjoy this teaching. Well, good morning, everyone, and thank you for being here at Table Church today. It's a real honor to have you worshiping with us this morning, and a couple things I want to let you know about. First of all, believe it or not, Easter's coming up, right? We're in the season of Lent. We just had Ash Wednesday, and so... um, we're going to go big for Easter this year. And what I mean is that we're praying. We're praying for at least 200 people in this place. We had 170 last Easter. I think we can do it. So you're going to be seeing some stuff. There might be some new signs out front. I actually just uh, reserved space on the billboard here at the Playhouse. The two weeks before Easter, we're going to have something on the billboard. And we also have postcards that we've made. We did this at Christmas Eve as well. We made postcards. We got 500 of them. We were handing them out at the doors that came in, but we've got a whole stack of them out there. And so if you would just grab a stack, grab 10 of them or whatever you think, and just start giving away. You can write a note to someone if you don't want to have the you know, awkward face-to-face thing, if that's tough. Just write them a note, put a stamp on it, and mail it to them. Be like, hey, Easter service is coming up. There will be a spot for you right next to me. Please join me. Whatever, whatever it is, let's, let's do it. Let's get to 200. I, honestly, I think that prayer might be too low. I think that God can do something great. He wants to reach people this Easter through Table Church. And so it's going to take all of us, but I know that we can do it. All right, so if you have a Bible with me, would you open to John chapter 4? John chapter 4, and we're going to kind of walk through this passage today. Uh, For many of us, it'll be a familiar one, but hopefully there's some things that God wants to say to us that we've not heard yet. So as you get there, I'll give us a little context. Something that is true about humans is we love boundaries. We will create boundaries every chance we get. We have something in us that it's almost like it requires us to categorize people, to try to tell, are they part of my clan, my tribe, my group? Are they in or are they out? Are they with me or are they against me? We do this in all sorts of ways, really obvious ways, including like borders of nations, right? Also, there's maybe some more hidden ways, like a set of railroad tracks that go through a town can be a border. When I lived in South Dakota, there's a river, the Missouri River cuts the state in half. And so we talk about East River people and West River people, and they're very different. (laughs) And so we construct boundaries all sorts of ways. In fact, it can be much more subtle than a river or a nation's border. It can be a word. Oh, they use that word. They must be one of those people. It can be all sorts of different things. And you know, one of the biggest ways that we construct boundaries is through religion. So many of us construct religious boundaries to try to see who's in 
and who's out? Do you worship in this place, in this way? Do you use this language? Do you read these scriptures? There's all sorts of external markers that we have come up with. And what I want to show you today, what I want us to see today is that Jesus leads us to cross boundaries for the gospel. I'm not saying Jesus leads us to sacrifice standards for the gospel. I'm saying he leads us to, cross, to reach across boundaries in order to love people for the sake of the gospel. We're wrapping up our series today. It's just been a short three-week series called Sojourners, the good news for immigrants. And a big part of this series has not only been, of course, looking at God's heart for immigrants and refugees, but we've also been discussing this new thing that we've got here at Table Church called Immigrant Connection. And uh, we've been saying it a lot, but maybe you haven't been here for the previous couple weeks. Immigrant Connection, it means that we now have an office where people can come receive immigration legal services. The government has a program where nonprofits can go through a training and go through an application process and be approved by the Department of Justice to open an office where people can receive immigration legal services. This is important because there's, number one, a lot of immigrants and refugees in our community, and number two, not very many legal service providers in our community. In fact, last week we had uh, Zach Samara here. He's the head of Immigrant Connection National. If you weren't here last year or last week, please listen to the sermon from last week. Please, please, please listen to last week's sermon. He does an amazing job of explaining the heart behind this and why we're doing what we're doing. And it'll give you so much context to help you understand kind of what your church is up to. Um, but one, one of the things that he said is that Iowa is an immigration legal desert. There's just not enough places to get the services you need as an immigrant. And so we're trying to help answer that problem in our community through uh, immigrant Connection. Our two licensed reps are uh, Natalie and Taryn, and they're going to join me on the platform here later today. You'll get to hear from them. Uh, but right now, let's dive into our text. Um, oh, I want to say this too. I'm not gonna, today, I'm not going to share the story of an immigrant, and I'm not going to talk about Old Testament laws about loving the foreigner. We've done that in this series. There's lots of places I could go. I could talk about Ruth. She was an immigrant. There's so much stuff in the Bible about this. Today, I'm going to change it a little bit. In fact, I'm going to flip it a little bit. I'm not going to talk about people coming into our territory. I'm going to talk about the fact that we're called to cross over borders into other people's territory today. I want to suggest that Jesus calls us to be the ones to cross boundaries for the sake of others. Jesus wants us to cross boundaries in order to love people with the gospel. And we're going to look at how Jesus does that very thing today. Now, we're going to be looking at John chapter 4, the story uh, of the conversation that Jesus has with the woman at the well. But let me give you a little background on this woman's people. She was a Samaritan. And if you've been coming to Table Church, you've heard me talk about this. There's a deep ethnic hatred between Jesus' people, the Jews, and Samaritans in the ancient world. Now, they had a similar religion. They descended from the same people. Uh, and, it, and it seems like a lot of times when it comes to religious divides, like the closer you are, the more animosity there is. Have you noticed that? Like the fighting between Christians is sometimes worse than the fighting between Christians and non-Christians. You know, like for some reason, like the closer you are, the worse it gets for some weird reason. Uh, but the, the Samaritans, they, they had a similar religion, but also very different. So for example, they, they had a different temple. 
It was in an entire different place than the one in Jerusalem. This would have been sacrilegious to Jesus' people. They had their own priesthood. They had their own distinct set of rituals and practices. And, and so there's this deep animosity between these two people groups. And it led to violence. 128 years before Jesus, the Jewish leader burned down the Samaritan temple on Mount Gerizim in the city of Sychar, which is where our story is going to take place. A few years after that, the same guy destroyed their capital city. In 6 AD, some Samaritans snuck into the Jewish temple and desecrated it by scattering bones throughout it. And then a few years after that, a group of Jews were killed by a group of Samaritans on their way to Jerusalem for the Passover. And it just continued to cycle into violence to the point that the Roman authorities had to step in. Listen, I heard somebody say, I don't know if this is true, but here's what they said. They said that we don't know of an ethnic group, two ethnic groups that hated each other more than the Jews and the Samaritans in the ancient world. There's this deep animosity between them. In fact, it was bad enough that there's several scholars that say that when traveling from Galilee to Jerusalem, instead of passing through Samaria, many Jews would go around Samaria, thereby adding an entire week to their journey. And so with this situation in mind, we look at John chapter 4, verse 4. And here's what it says. Jesus is traveling, and we read, now he had to go through Samaria. The Greek word for he had to can mean it was necessary for him to. Now, if you're a Jewish person listening to this story, you're like, well, no, you didn't have to. I mean, he could have gone around it. That's what most people do. Didn't have to go through Samaria. And so Daniel Carroll's a scholar who suggests that maybe John is telling us, no, he had to. It was necessary for him to, not because the road went through Samaria, but because Jesus knew he had a divine appointment with somebody in Samaria. Verse five, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Now, the location of Jacob's well is still known today. In Genesis chapter 33, we see the moment where Jacob buys the land. It's within view of Mount Gerizim, which is where the uh, Samaritan temple once stood, a little over 100 years prior to this moment. Its ruins are still visible from this well we would imagine. And so notice for a second here that John is situating this story with rich religious symbolism already. We're talking about Jacob's well, right? This storied moment, this patriarch that both faiths would have claimed. We're talking about within view of the, the site of the Samaritan temple. And so this is only going to get more and more, by the way, as we go through the story. It's almost like John, as he writes this, he wants us to see this story. He wants us to sense that it's like this, a bomb that's waiting to explode. And we're going to see how Jesus is going to defuse the bomb. Verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Parentheses, his disciples had gone into town to buy food. Now, why is that important for us to know? I'll tell you why. Because it means Jesus was alone with this woman. And there's all sorts of cultural taboos going on here. We'll get to that in a minute. But listen, the custom was for people to draw water early in the morning or late in the evening when it's not as hot. And yet this woman comes in the middle of the day, right at noon. John was sure to tell us what time it was. 
We're going to find out why this was in just a second. The Samaritan, verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Okay, so boundary number one that Jesus crosses, she's a Samaritan, he's a Jew. John tells us in parentheses what we already know. Jews do not associate with Samaritans. In case you doubted it, there it is right there. Moving on, verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who, who gave us this well, the well to drink and drink from it himself as did also his sons and livestock? So are you better than Jacob? Like you got something better than Jacob does, she's saying. And Jesus goes on to say this really mysterious stuff. Look, if you knew who was asking you for a drink, he'd give you living water, he says. Now, living water is actually a term they used back then to simply signify water that's moving, like water in a river or water from a spring. And when you're in the desert, that kind of water is really precious because what they had for the most part was water that didn't move, water in a well or in a cistern. And you know what can happen is an animal can fall in your well and die, or the water can stagnate, or the cistern can crack. And so anytime you hear about living water, that's, that's a tremendous blessing. And so, of course, she's taking Jesus literally. He thinks, she thinks that this guy has some sort of hidden spring somewhere that she doesn't know about. But, of course, Jesus isn't talking about literal water. He's talking about spiritual nourishment. And he tells her that if she drinks his water, she'll never be thirsty again. She exclaims, sir, please give me this water. Then I won't have to keep coming back to this well. And that's when Jesus pulls a little trick on her. Jesus forces her to say something he already knows. And he does it just because he wants to teach her something about himself. He says, he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. Verse 18, the fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. So we finally get to the heart of the mystery of why she's by herself at the well at noon. She had five husbands. We don't know what happened to them. We don't know if all five of them died. She's been widowed five times. Or maybe she's been divorced that many times. But whatever the case, people would have assumed there was something wrong with her. Maybe she's cursed. Maybe she's evil. Maybe both. Who knows? But whatever the case, instead of helping her, the community excluded her. And as a result, now she's living with a man who's not her husband simply to survive. She's probably abused. And she has no friends. And everyone has abandoned her and no one dares to talk with her. No one that is except for this random Jewish rabbi who appears at the well one day. But here we can see boundary number two. Not only is she a Samaritan, she is, in the eyes of her culture, a sinful woman. Now, we don't know her story, but we know that even in the cases where it's not her fault, which is almost definitely the case, because women just didn't have a lot of agency then, 
her culture would still have probably blamed her in many ways. They would have assumed the worst in her. Listen, here's what I want us to understand. John has shown us that every possible religious boundary is present in this conversation. He's worked really hard to pack it with all sorts of religious boundaries, symbols, almost everything you can come up with. She's a Samaritan. Jews don't talk to Samaritans. She's a woman. Men don't talk to women who aren't their wife, especially not alone, especially not women like her. She's got a past. Any rabbi associating with such a woman would be suspect. It's just one boundary after another. She goes on, verse 19, Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. This seems like a random place to go, right? They're talking about living water, now they're talking about mountains, and like, what's going on here? Here's what I think's going on. She realizes there's something special about this guy. Somehow he knows something about me that he couldn't have known. This guy's a prophet. Now, Many of you know that Jay, our worship leader, is a podiatrist. He's a foot doctor. You know what happens when a doctor, like when somebody finds out that you're a doctor? They're like, hey, doc, I got this thing, you know? Like, that's how it goes. I'm a pastor. Sometimes if people find out I'm a pastor, one of two things happen. They get real weird with me. Or they're like, yeah, I go to church. <laughs> cool, you know? It's like they got to know I'm good. They, got, they want me to know that they're good. Uh, I, I, had a, I had a doctor once uh, who would keep me after just to ask me Bible questions, like after the appointment. Uh, it's like they want to, like, oh, okay, yeah, I've got this question. I've always wondered this. That's what she's doing with Jesus. Oh, he's a, you're a prophet. Okay, cool. I want to know which one's the right mountain. Is it, you know, Mount Zion in Jerusalem or Mount Gerizim where we are? Come on, prophet, which side of the, which side of the boundary are you on? Settle this debate for me. So she's just asking him the question that everyone wanted to ask a prophet. Which one's the right one? Jesus, verse 21 says this, woman, Jesus replied. By the way, whenever Jesus says woman, it's like, whoa, Jesus, you're being a little rude, man. It's not that. It's like madame, okay? That's, think like in his culture. Madame, madam, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in, in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. And look, in one statement, Jesus destroys boundaries. He says the kind of worshipers the Father wants are not the ones that worship on one mountain or another. It's not about worshiping on the right mountain. It's about worshiping in the right way. The boundary debate is over, he says. It's irrelevant. I am the mountain, he's saying. And Jesus crossed all the boundaries in order to reach the one woman that the world had written off. He risked his reputation in order to share the good news with her. And here's the point I'm making today. It's this. Jesus calls us to cross boundaries for the sake of the gospel. Look, Christianity is a religion, but it's the religion that destroys religious boundaries. Or at least it's supposed to. Look, there's some boundaries that are necessary. Some that might even be healthy, right? Like some of us need some more boundaries in our lives maybe. But not the boundaries I'm talking about here. Not boundaries about culture or skin color or tribe or the way you look or your past. Jesus is saying it's not about any of that stuff. It's about worshiping with a heart of adoration, a heart of repentance. It's about worshiping in what he calls spirit 
and truth. Look, I want to be a Christian that crosses boundaries. I'm not amazing at it. I'm not going to lie. I like to stay in my comfortable little space with people that I'm comfortable with. But insofar as that's true of me is the degree to which I'm not like Jesus. And I want us to be a church that crosses boundaries. The kind of church that sits with the forgotten, the hurting, the kind of people who come to the well in the middle of the day. I believe that immigrant connection is one way that we're crossing boundaries to sit with people. And what we see with this story is that when we do that, something magnificent can happen. Who would have known that this woman would be the the first one to call him Messiah in the book? Who would have known that this woman would then go and be an evangelist to her village? Verse 28, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Listen, because Jesus crossed boundaries, this woman brought more people to him. The point of immigrant connection is crossing boundaries, to sit with people in their pain. Many of these people are the ones that the world has written off. Like, like this woman, they're often vulnerable. Like this woman, there are often people around them that assume the worst about them. And there's all sorts of narratives being painted about them that, that suggest these things. But we want to follow Jesus to cross those boundaries because when we do that, I think something remarkable will happen. You won't be able to recognize this church once we all start living this way. The point of immigrant connection is to do those very things. Now, why do I think this matters so much? I'll tell you a couple reasons why. First of all, there was a time when Christians saw the gaps in society and would fill them. When there was a time in culture where you didn't help poor people, that was silly. But Christians did. There was a time where you don't go near sick people. You don't go near lepers. But Christians did. You don't go to see the people in prison. They are forgotten by society. The Christians did. Today, we have hospitals and we have homeless shelters and we have prison programs. Culture has caught up to Christians a little bit. And so it can kind of feel like there's not as much for us to do. The government does it now. But not this. When it comes to the huge gap in our culture between those who are here, who are immigrants or who are refugees, who are coming because they needed asylum or coming because they're in a desperate circumstance, and yet they have an entire mess of legal networks to work through, there's nobody to help them. People aren't doing it. That's why the Christians need to do it. In fact, I think the government understands this. That's why they created this program. I think they probably realize, look, unless the people of faith rise up and do this, it's just not going to happen. So we need to make a program that allows nonprofits, a.k.a. churches, right, to be able to offer these services. And my, my prayer is that one day, as these families come and receive help, that the children are going to remember that, you know what, when my family came here, it was the Christians that helped it was the, Christ, the followers of Jesus that were there for us when we needed them most. That's my, and that's why I think this matters. Because this is, once again, we have that opportunity to fill that gap 
in ways that are just harder to find now because our culture is more Christian than it realizes, right? Like we're writing on the fumes of the gospel for 2,000 years, and so we all agree you should help the poor and you should help the homeless. People didn't used to think that way. They do now. Why? Because of Jesus. And so this is an opportunity to reclaim our heritage as the church, as the people of God. John Wesley, who we derive our name, or he's, we, you know, the tradition that traces its roots back to the Wesleyan revival uh, in England, he crossed boundaries. This is in our DNA. You know what he did? Back in his day, the, the big thing was the sermon was only supposed to be preached indoors, in a church. Well, he preached outside, and thousands of people came. The poor and the forgotten who, who would never step foot in a church, they came to a field and listened to this guy preach. And so we are called to cross boundaries for the sake of the good news. And I think that God honors it when we do. And so let's, talk, let's, let's hear from uh, Taryn and Natalie themselves. I'm going to invite them to come to the platform. Um, Taryn is the site director and both she and Natalie are what we call immigration legal representatives. Uh, so they've been approved to do that. We'll talk more about that in a second. But, you know, Taryn has joined me on the platform a time or two before. But today is the Table Church platform debut for my wife, Natalie. So this is a big moment. So come on up. How are we doing? This is the second time you've gotten to do this now. So this should be easy. All right. Thanks for joining me up here, ladies. It's good to have you. Um, I guess the first question I have is, why did you choose to do Immigrant Connection? Oh, yeah, I go first. Uh, <laughs> we even practiced. We did practice. Oh, my goodness. Um, I have a couple of reasons. One, it feels very personal to me. Um, about seven or eight years ago, I started feeling really unsettled in my job. Um, I work in a financial company. And um, it just felt like the corporate world wasn't for me, and so I started praying. I had no idea what it looked like to leave that world, um, and I didn't know what it, like, where I would fit in the ministry world. So I just kept praying and praying and praying, and God answered with a bunch of little steps that led me here, and this feels like the perfect um, combination of the skills that I have with my heart for people in the nations. Just kind of like brought it all together. Um, and then what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, like this is an act of obedience. God calls us to love the immigrant, the foreigner. Um, and it just, it didn't feel like, um, I, I'm, that's going to sound bad. I was going to say it didn't feel like a choice. It just felt like something I should do. Like just like, that's just the next natural step for me. Um, so yeah, that's how I ended up here. Uh, for me, I, um, a year and a half ago, found myself in a new season. All my kids were in school, and so I just started asking the Lord, like, what's next? Um, I wanted to still be able to do everything I do for Table Church, um, but I, the more I talked to the Lord about it, the more I just felt um, he kept kind of pointing me back towards this immigrant connection thing. Um, and last year in November, Joanne Lyon um, was here, and the more we talked with her about um, rise up and about our ministry center and kind of our heartbeat um, and who we're already serving. She just said, you guys would be perfect for Immigrant Connection. And so the more we learned about it, it's something we've known about for a long time, um, probably 10 years 
ago yeah. when they started. We, we heard about it and were very interested in um, an immigrant connection from the beginning. But um, yeah, just the more the Lord started just pointing us in that, that direction, opening doors, um, it just felt like something that really aligned with what we were already doing um, as a church and our heart, um, yeah, as a, a ministry. So it felt like a very natural next step for us. All right, so give us a quick overview of the process that you had to go through for the last year in order to get to this point. When did you start, first of all? Last January. It was a lot. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> we took a, a law course on immigration law. Comprehensive overview of immigration law, COIL. Thank you, I never remember the words. Um, <laughs> it was like 10 or 12 weeks and it ended in a really big final exam, um, which we rocked. We were very proud of ourselves. Um, well, and you then only, we they only missed one point, right? Exactly, yes. Yeah. yeah, different questions, but yeah. we each only missed That's one. That's how you know that you weren't copying. That's yes. good. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Way to go. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we did a lot of shadowing, like some virtual cases. They give us like part of the story and then we had to figure it out. Um, we went to an office in Logansport, Indiana, where like, the headquarters are, um, and we shadowed the office there, which was really cool because we got to see it in action, and we're like, oh, this is what we'll be doing someday. Um, lots of webinars. Watch lots of webinars. Lots of webinars. Lots of practical um, application to what we were learning. We did a conference in September that we oh, had yeah. to go to to do some more learning. Yeah, yeah and then... And then I don't know if you mentioned it, we had to fill out an entire application. Yep, one for each of us and then one for the table church as well. So all three things had to be approved to get this to happen. <laughs> yeah, so they're approved and we are approved. <laughs> so good job, guys. <laughs> um, okay, so what are some of the specific ways you can help people? Like if somebody that anyone here knows uh, needs a ser services, like what are the things that we do? Uh, we can help people with their green cards, um, renewing a green card or um, applying for a green card. We can help people with their work authorization, um, so getting the right approval to be able to work in the U.S. Um, we can help with family-based petitions, so if there's a U.S. citizen who wants to apply for a family member um, overseas to travel to the U.S. and um, become a permanent resident here, we can help with that process. Um, citizenship, yes. um, people who are interested in applying for citizenship, we can help them do that and then also connect them to... ELL classes if they need assistance in learning English or citizenship classes so that they can learn about civics because they have to take a civics class or test um, in the application process. And then just some other various immigrant statuses that need to be renewed or applied for in order to uh, maintain lawful, or like to be here legally, um, we can help them with that too. Yeah. All right, so what each of you tell, tell us um, like one challenge you've experienced. We've been open since January. What's one challenging thing that you've run into? And then we'll share, we'll highlight after that. Um, one of the challenging, I think it's kind of twofold. One is just like not being able to help everyone. Sometimes people are just in a situation where there's no path forward. And it really, I mean, to be frank, it sucks to tell them that. Like, I can't, I can't help you. There's nothing that we can do. There's no government program. There's no application or form that we can fill out that's gonna move this forward. Um, and that's, that's a difficult thing to do because I just, I want to help. Um, and then I'll let you share the other one since we share it. <laughs> uh, the other thing that both of us have experienced is just um, carrying the weight of people's stories. That's one of the beautiful things. And when we talk about crossing boundaries, um, it's a gift to be able to enter into somebody else's story and to, to hold that with them. Um, I think part of, a, a huge part of what we do is just listening. Um, 
And as we sit down across the table from someone, we hear their story, we hear their struggle. We also hear their like incredible courage and tenacity um, in doing hard things to help their family be safe um, or to provide security for their future. Um, so, but I think one of the things I didn't realize was the, the weight um, that I would carry with that and hearing people's stories that are really, really hard. And um, yeah, just being able to to hold that and then also surrender that to Jesus and let him be the one to carry that so that I don't. Um, that's been something I didn't expect um, to be as hard as it's been. Same. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's some of you have been helping who, you know, is from a, a war zone and trying to get her elderly father here. And I know that that's been very difficult because it's like you wish you could help more, you wish you could do it faster, but you're at the mercy of, you know, the system. So I'll be praying for them in those, in those ways. Uh, Zach said something last week. Um, he mentioned how, you know, as a pa- Zach's a pastor and he also leads Immigrant Connection. Uh, and he said, you know, as a pastor, I can spend a lot of time trying to get into somebody's life. But then with Immigrant Connection, when I sit with somebody for an appointment, within five minutes, I like know the, the heaviest things in their life. And sometimes it's just like these crushing truths. And, and so it can be a burden that you carry sometimes. All right, so what's been a highlight that, you, that you've had so far? Getting to be a part of people's stories, it's kind of the same thing, but (laughs) uh, my very first client was applying um, to be a citizen, and she is over 55. She's been here for like 20 years. Um, She doesn't speak English, and she can't read in her own language, and she can't write in her own language. And get to be in the, um, it feels like a gift to be part of her story and helping her apply for citizenship because she's been here so long, and because of her age. She's exempt from the English part of the the application, which means she can become a citizen. And she's worked so hard and she's raised her family here and now she gets to um, stand up and like take that oath and, and I, don't, I don't know, just to be a part of that story is just an incredible gift. Um, and it was really cool that that was my first experience. Um, I think one of the highlights for me is one of our, one of our first clients that came into the office. Um, like she came in and we were helping her with her work authorization. And I sat on the floor and played with her kids for an hour, um, which I felt like was the easy job because Taryn was doing all the work, but she would probably <laughs> differ, beg to differ. Um, but I love the fact that we get to care about um, our clients in a more holistic way. Like it wasn't just about us taking care of her work authorization. Like I was able to sit on the floor and play with her kids. And in that moment, she was feeling very seen and cared for and loved. Um, and she just kept looking over and smiling and thanking us for playing with her kids <laughs> and mm-hmm. taking care of um, this work authorization that she needed to take care of her kids. Um, and so I think that's one of the special things about being a church and getting to do this work. Um, it isn't just about the legal side of things. That's important and that matters and we're helping people with that. But in addition, we're just um, we're able to love people well through this process and help them to feel um, really seen and cared for as we're doing yeah. it. Yeah, it's amazing. And so it's, it's a pastoral work, really, in a way. Um, all right, so how can we be a part of this? And by the way, just so you all know, one of the things that I hope to see as we go through this is that it, as it grows and as the ladies kind of get more used to the work, that there becomes more and more need for you to step in. Um, volunteers in the office and that kind of thing. But I don't want to answer the question for you, so I'll, I'll stop. How can they be a part of this? Well, first of all, you guys have been an amazing support so far. Like, this is over a year in progress, and you guys have been with us since day one, encouraging us and praying for us, checking in on us, and I cannot 
we cannot say how much that like absolutely means to us. Um, so continuing that would be one thing. And then prayer, like Phil mentioned earlier, these stories are really hard and it is really hard to, to turn the story over to Jesus and continue with our own life, knowing that somebody is out there um, and, like, and holding that story. So prayer is huge. Um, we have our Amazon wish list. There's still a few things on there, so you can go and snag something off of there. And then financial donations are always good. Um, and then you had a good one in the last yeah. service. Oh, referring people. Thank you. Yeah. Tell your people about us. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, like as out. we share this, uh, what we're doing, everybody that I talk to is like, oh, I have somebody for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you guys are in all kinds of spaces that we aren't. And so tell your people about us. Um, Taryn brought our business cards and we have some flyers printed. If you want to take some today, they're on the, the coffee bar out there, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, tell your people about us because, um, yeah, the more people know about us, the more people yeah. we can help. And they're kind of in a phase right now of getting their feet under them. But at some point, we will need people to come and just help with paperwork in the office and things like that. I mean, and of course, my dream is that one day we're coming and saying, hey, does anybody want to take a year and train as a, to become a legal rep? I mean, that's ultimately the dream, that this would grow and that we could serve more people. So the Lord knows. We don't know. But we do trust that he's going to be doing something through this. Thank you so much, ladies. Well Thank done. We're going to sing one last song, and as we do that, we're going to take a moment and remember another boundary that Jesus crossed the night that he shared his final meal with his followers. He got down on his knees, wrapped a towel around his waist, and washed their feet, and then he invited them to a meal. And in this meal, we remember the fact that God actually crossed the greatest boundary there is. He crossed the boundary from heaven to earth in order to become a man so that he might pay our debts. I think about the action in the song we sang earlier. Is this one? That was my favorite one. <laughs> he, he paid our debts. He bought us with his blood. And we get to be reminded of that as we come to his table and take communion. So take a moment with the Lord as we sing. And then whenever you're ready, please come. And you, there's, it's gluten-free bread. Just take a piece and dip it in the cup. And go ahead and take the elements right there at the table. All right? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, tonight or this morning, we ask that you would um, remind us of the fact that as you cross boundaries for us, we are to cross boundaries for others. We are to reach out. We are to be a, a church, Lord, that isn't here for us, but here for the people around us. And so fill us with the energy and the courage and the strength and the wisdom to do that, we pray. And as we come now to your table, Lord, shine a light on anything in our hearts that is not of you, from you. Lord, any sin issue that we need to deal with, so that we might be able to come before you now in a worthy manner, knowing, Lord, that we have a God who is gracious and forgiving. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.